be useful to have a Bible open, starting with Matthew 6.33, if you have one in front of you. Um, I'm just putting the church text rather than lots of slides up this morning, so if you have a Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll move around a bit. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. The immediate context, always worth making sure we don't pluck a verse right out of context, the immediate context of our church text for 2019 is Jesus teaching about worry. And actually, the way God's planned it, our next midweek Bible study, a week on Wednesday, where we're doing Sermon on the Mount, will be this passage. Actually, this is where we've got to. Um, Do not worry. That's the context. Jesus has been talking about worry and all the things that cause people to worry, things people chase after. In a sentence, we might say this verse means then that if we put Jesus and his priorities first before everything else in our lives, we will be spared from the worry about material things that everyone else worries about. Jesus promises that all these things, which he's been talking about, that these things are all the things people worry about, having somewhere to live and something to eat and clothes to wear, and all those things and all the things people chase after and long for, all these things will be added, but put me first, Jesus says. They'll they'll be given you as well. Jesus isn't promising we'll be rich, I'm sorry to say, or that we'll have everything we want, or even everything we think we need. But he is saying that if we live radically for him and put him first, our Heavenly Father will make sure we have, out of his goodness and grace, everything we need to live for him and love him and do all the things that he calls us to do and that bring true joy. We will have everything we need and we won't need to worry. Seek first his kingdom. On the flip side, if you're a Christian here today, And you're not living all out for Jesus, with Jesus' priorities above the priorities of work and family and everything else, living for his kingdom and his righteousness, you should not expect, I should not expect, and this is a challenge, all these things to be given to me. Why would Jesus do that? He wants me first to seek his kingdom and to learn that. He's not going to give me all these things unless I put him first. Start with putting Jesus on the throne and doing the things of Jesus' kingdom first, he says. And I'll add these things. You should never expect to have quite enough. Enough time or enough money or enough energy to give yourself to the Lord's work if you're not putting it first. You won't have the energy or the time to be at the prayer meeting, to make history as we heard, or to share the gospel, or whatever it is that Jesus calls you to do. You just won't quite have the time for it, you won't have the energy for it, because of all these things. But Jesus says, seek me first, and these things will be added to you. You see, basically, what he's saying is quite simple, but quite profound, and quite challenging. For those of us who are parents, I think there's a particular challenge, because there's a particular idolatry particularly in our society around children. Our children need to know that we love them, yes. But they also need to to know, they need to know more than that we love them. They need to know that we love Jesus more than we love them. I say that again, our children need to know that we love Jesus more. I say that to you guys sitting here. We love Jesus even more. That we seek first his kingdom 
Because that's actually, that's the path to blessing anyway. And that's what we're called to. Our children need to know by the choices we make, by how we explain those choices, that Jesus is the centre of the universe. Not me, not even you guys, or your children, or whoever it is. That's, and that's hard. Guys, you can let me know whether I'm doing that very well later. But that's what our children need to know, isn't it? That's what they need to see. Because Jesus' disciples are those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is the centre of the universe. Seek first his kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God then? If we're to seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God above all other things, we better be clear what the kingdom is. My first heading, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is one of the Bible's big themes. It runs right the way through the Bible. And like all the big themes of the Bible, it's about Jesus. He's the king. He's God's king. In the Bible, God's kingdom means God's people living in God's place under God's rule. It's just an important idea to have in your head. The kingdom always means God's people in God's place living basically by God's word under God's rule. You might say to me, well, isn't God king of the universe? Didn't he make everything? Isn't everything his kingdom? Doesn't he own everyone? Doesn't... Don't the Psalms say the earth is the Lord's and everything in it? Well, yes. But most people today are living in rebellion against the rule of their loving creator. So yes, God is ultimately the king of all. But most people are not living in a relationship with him as king. I think perhaps the clearest person to explain this to us is although many people have the same heart, is Stephen Fry. I remember being struck a couple of years back. Stephen Fry was asked, what if you get to to heaven and you realise you were wrong and there is a God? What will you say to him? And you know what he said? He said he would say to God, how dare you? He said, I'll say to God, how dare you have suffering? How dare you? That's what Stephen Fry said. He's a rebel against the king. But actually, all of us, if Jesus hasn't saved us yet, are rebels against the king. In our hearts, we say, how dare you? I don't want you. I won't believe you. I won't follow you. I'm going to be king. I'm going to do it my way. That's how we are by nature, the Bible says. Jesus has come to establish his kingdom to put things right. Where God is on the throne and we are his people. Jesus explains the kingdom of God just a few verses earlier. If you've got Matthew 6 open, a few verses earlier, we have the Lord's Prayer. And actually, Jesus tees up this teaching here a few verses earlier by what he teaches about the kingdom in the Lord's Prayer. We know this. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father in heaven. What's the first prayer? We're to pray, hallowed be your name. Lord, I want your name To be holy, to be honoured. What's God's name? Well, to the Jews, God's name represents all that God is. All his attributes, all his goodness and grace and joy and love and holiness and sovereignty. God's name represents all those things. Hallowed be your name. We're praying that God would be known as God and adored as God and worshipped as God. And what is the very next words Jesus say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're praying. Your kingdom 
come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. In heaven, God is perfectly obeyed and loved and honoured. His name is hallowed. It's holy. But it's not on earth, is it? People like Stephen Fry say, how dare you, God? The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. God's word is obeyed holy. His will is done in that sense completely and perfectly. God's kingdom is where we are back in a right relationship with God. The loving creator under his rule, following his word, knowing him, being known by him, loving him. Where It says right the way through the Bible to do with the kingdom of God. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to do. And kings typically had two tasks. They saved and protected their people. Very often a king became a king by being a warrior, winning a victory, defeating the people from their enemies. Kings were those who protected and saved their people and they ruled and governed their people. And what are the two phrases we say about Jesus? Jesus is saviour and Jesus is lord. Are they not the jobs of a king to save his people and rule over his people? That's our Jesus, saviour and lord. He saves us from sin the evil in our hearts. He saves us from death, the consequences of sin. He saves us from the devil, the enemy who wants us to sin. Paul says in Romans. And you know, there's an even greater enemy he saves us from. We don't often think of this, but it's so profound. Paul talks about one enemy ultimately that Jesus saves us from. Romans 5 verse 10 says this. Paul says, while we were God's enemies. Ooh, God's enemies. Even God had become my enemy because I hated him that much. What happened? While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We hated God so much we became his enemies. Actually, he was angry with us in our sin. He had wrath towards us, the Bible says. But Jesus came to put it right. Jesus saves and Jesus is Lord. He's our king to obey. He's our commander to follow, like the army. He's our example to copy. Long before Jesus, we got a glimpse of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, the kingdom as promised hadn't really come. We see glimpses of it, and perhaps most powerfully in the kingdom in the Old Testament, in Israel. We see a glimpse in David, great King David, and his son, great King Solomon. They set up a kingdom. They gave their people security. They led their people fairly well. But they couldn't save us from sin, could they? They couldn't deliver us from the wrath of God. They couldn't reconcile God's enemies to him. They were sinners too. They were just a picture pointing forward to Jesus and what he would do. The promised king who would save us. We sing at Christmas, don't we? We read about Jesus coming from the house and line of David and being born at Bethlehem. Because he's the king who saves and he's Lord. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to fix what we broke to establish, to re-establish the kingdom of God. And you know, Jesus does it in two big instalments. The Old Testament believers knew Jesus was coming. They hadn't quite seen, even John the Baptist didn't see this, that there would be two instalments with 2,000 years between them. They knew what he was coming to do. They they didn't understand the timings of it, Peter tells us. And Jesus came, and he does it in two instalments, if you like. Jesus' first coming... He brings about the kingdom in part. 
At his second coming, he's going to bring about the fullness of all that's promised that we read about in the book of Revelation. So the kingdom is now, because Jesus has set it up. And it's still not yet, because there's still more to do to fully fulfill all the promises about the kingdom of God in the Bible. So now then, at Jesus, from Jesus' first coming, what did he do? Well, first of all, he came to live a perfect life under God's law. Life we have not lived and could never live because we're sinners. And then he died on the cross, not just as a good example, although he was that, but as our substitute under God's wrath. That is where we deserve to be. We deserve to be on that cross under God's wrath. We were God's enemies, but we've been reconciled through the death of his son. Jesus was taking the punishment that should have been mine, that should have been yours, if you put your faith in him. Jesus came to reconcile man and God. And because he's dealt with sin, and because he's reconciled us to God, made us God's friends, God's children, he's been able to pour out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is God. It's not a strange liquid. Sometimes we talk about pouring out. It's a strange image, isn't it? It means God coming and filling our lives. God, the Holy Spirit. From Pentecost onwards... To do what? To build the church, to equip us, to truly, deeply all know him, be taught of him, to have Christ in us, the hope of glory, to have power, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus is building his kingdom. He's come once and he's begun. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. He's begun the work. It will continue until the end where he does the remaining things he's promised and ultimately sets up what we read about at the end of the book of Revelation. God's kingdom has come already. Jesus is building his church and taking back the world for God. He's the conquering king and he will ultimately conquer. Let me just read you a few verses. You can turn to them if you want or or just listen. A few verses. There's so many verses that teach this in scripture. Just a few verses to give you a flavour. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, which is where people imagine they went down to the dead, death, which Jesus is talking about. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, even death, that is, will not overcome it. It's an eternal kingdom and Jesus gives eternal life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter, writing to Jews particularly, what he says is for all Christians, using Old Testament kingdom language, Speak of us, the church, today. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, Christians, you, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is kingdom language. God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus is building his kingdom, isn't he? Calling us. Luke 17, Jesus says this about when the kingdom would come. Because the Pharisees didn't get that it was going to come through the gospel before Jesus would come back and and finish the job. The Pharisees hadn't got their heads around that. And and Jesus says to them in this, Luke 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed Although it will be one day. You read Revelation, people are going to see it. He's talking about now, isn't he? He's talking about the kingdom now. The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. 
because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's not a country you can see. Jesus hasn't come visibly yet. And yet he's building his kingdom in our midst. He's building his kingdom here in our hearts as we have new birth and as he builds us into his church. As we're added to the number. Some of often overlook. Jesus teaches the same thing to, John, to Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the new birth. And he says to him, John 3, 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom. That is that, that kingdom that's being built now that Jesus has come. No one can see the kingdom unless... They are born again. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet universal, visible. It's not yet. Jesus hasn't yet got rid of all his enemies. But when we are born again, we belong to it. We see it. We're part of what God is doing. He's building his church. He's building his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1, reading from the second half of verse 20. Ephesians 1 says this. This is again his kingdom language, speaking about the church. Listen to this. God raised Christ from the dead and seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority. This is kingdom, isn't it? Rule and authority. Far above power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So God raised Jesus from the dead to be the king. And God placed all things under his, Jesus's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the kingdom then, if you like, the fullness of the king, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As we've said, God's kingdom is God's people and God's place living under God's rule. And today that means Jesus' church, we are God's people. Jews and Gentiles called to belong to Jesus, who are in Christ. Jesus is our safe place. We don't have a country to go to. It's in Christ and Christ's church that we're in the kingdom. Living in obedience to Christ and his word. That means, that's the rule, isn't it? God's kingdom, God's place under God's rule. Living in obedience to Christ by his word, empowered by the spirit. That's the kingdom of God. So the kingdom has come. And we're to seek it. Seek it first. Seek these things I've been telling you about above everything else in your life. There's also a sense in which the kingdom is not yet. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I just want to read you two passages. Good to turn to them if you have a Bible from Revelation. To speak of the kingdom work that Jesus is yet to do. That he won't do until he's given everyone who's to be saved that opportunity to hear the gospel. But he is coming as judge in the end. Revelation 19 verse 11 says this. Our conquering king is coming. His kingdom will be visible. He will conquer the earth. He will set up all that is promised finally. And we will be with him forever. Listen to this. Revelation 19 verse 11. I saw heaven standing open. This is the final day. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Kings came on horses. Jesus the king is coming back. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He's the king. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. That's a king on the throne, isn't it? He treads, this is probably the most horrific image in the whole of the Bible. John makes no apology for recording it. He treads Jesus coming in judgment at the end. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. (sighs) On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, in case we hadn't got it from the image, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think we got it by now, hadn't we? And then Revelation 21, right at the end, Jesus sets up his kingdom finally and fully for his people forever. Revelation 21, just read, read your verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Sea often representing the raging of the nations against God in the Bible. There's no longer any opposition. There's no longer anyone who hates him. There's no longer anyone saying the kinds of silly things Stephen Fry says. It's all gone. I saw the holy city, verse 2, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So, today, the kingdom is in God's people's hearts as he gives us new birth. And as he builds us into the body, the church. The kingdom is seen, although it's not visible to to the majority. We see the kingdom as we gather as the church. But soon, soon, soon come Lord Jesus. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will be completed. God's people will be in the new heavens and the new earth, living in the very presence of God and enjoying him forever. Until that day, while it's still today, as the Psalms say, as Hebrews says, we need to seek the kingdom of God now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things you worry about for now, well, they'll be added to you as well. Put Jesus first today. The kingdom of God and the righteousness of God is closely related. I've talked about it a little already. Just a few comments on the righteousness of God. Well, actually, the righteousness of God really means two things in the Bible. And Jesus already talked about both of them in this Sermon on the Mount. The first sense of righteousness of God, which we're to seek is our standing before God, our legal standing, if you like, our righteousness in that sense. First then, the righteousness of God can mean our legal standing. We can be found not guilty, righteous before God, because Jesus was righteous for us. He lived for us, he died for us, he rose again for us, and if we believe in him, his righteousness is for us. Otherwise, we're still guilty unrighteous in God's eyes seek first that kind of righteousness that's actually how we become a Christian it's how we go on as a Christian seeking his forgiveness his righteousness his cleansing from sin Jesus has talked about this back a page or so in the Bible Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 which talks about 
in, in the introduction to the sermon, what he came to do. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. In other words, I'm not going to get you to heaven by dropping the standard. You can't belong to my kingdom. I'm not going to build my kingdom by dropping the standard so lots of people can come in, making it really easy in that sense. No, 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 no. I haven't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to keep the law perfectly for us. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, all the law of Moses, all the food laws, all the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, all the things that perhaps we could do and many things we could never do and never keep, none of it will pass away until everything is accomplished. When Jesus was crucified, what did he cry out? It is finished. It is accomplished. Because he'd done it for us. He'd kept the law perfectly all his life. Fulfilled it. Accomplished it. So now we who believe in Jesus can stand righteous, not guilty, before God. Because Jesus fulfilled every last dot of an I and cross of a T for us. And we can stand clothed in his righteousness. It's an old illustration, but it's such a good one, isn't it? We stand there covered in filthy clothes, which is our sin. And Jesus stands there pure. His obedience, a life of obedience. And he takes our filth and gives us his cleanness. That we might stand before God righteous. So to seek God's righteousness is to ask him to forgive your sins because of Jesus and what he's done. That's how we enter the kingdom. Daily, that's how we continue in the kingdom, isn't it? Jesus, forgive me. Thank you that you did it all. Thank you I'm forgiven. I'm righteous in you. But that isn't the only sense of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount really is to Christians telling us how Jesus wants us to live rightly. Righteousness in that sense. And he talks about that in, again, the same part of Matthew, verse 19. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, that's Jesus' teaching as he interprets the law. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is instructing his church. And he says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called what least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, Jesus is teaching what Jesus wants us to obey and do will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness is righteous in that sense of living rightly, obeying Jesus, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, who paid lip service but didn't follow from the heart. Unless your righteousness surpasses out of the Pharisees, unless you really are following me, you really are one of my disciples, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's the righteousness Jesus gives us because he fulfilled the law, and there's the righteousness then in response we must live out as we obey what Jesus teaches. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all this other stuff you worry about, will it be given you as well? And Jesus warns people, if we don't want to live for his kingdom, and particularly if we don't, if we will not live out his commands, his righteousness, he says, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is a warning. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you. So how do we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. How are we going to seek them? Well, we've thought about what they are. Let's think now about 
putting it into practice. There's some things, well, there are actually many things the Bible teaches. It really is about living our whole lives under Jesus' word and with Jesus' priorities. I could just stop and sit down. I'm not. I'm going to give you a few things more specific, but that's really what this is about, isn't it? Read the Sermon on the Mount and do it. That's how we do this. Read what the apostles taught and do it to believe it. But actually, let's, let's think of a few specifics. We seek, first of all, the kingdom of God by being a committed disciple of Jesus. That's such a big theme in Matthew and actually in the Bible generally. If you're not yet a Christian, I don't know every one of you this morning. I know most of you, but I don't know every one of you. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to come to Jesus in faith. Become a disciple. Admit you're a sinner. Thank him for living and dying for you. Ask him to forgive your sin. Ask him to be your Lord and your saviour. And he'll do it. He never turns anyone away. Become his disciple. He will give you his righteousness and you'll stand forgiven as we've been thinking. But actually, for all of us, we need to be committed disciples of Jesus. Putting into practice what Jesus says. Living by his kingdom priorities. Above our job, our house, our holidays, our family even children, spouse, everything, they're all important and Jesus will bless them. But he says, seek me first. Trust me in that. That's his promise to you. Become today a committed disciple of Jesus. He must be your Lord, your ruler. He must call the shots. His word has to make the biggest decisions for you. Seek first his kingdom today. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, well, what follows on? What we were thinking about this morning, what we had the privilege of of doing with Mark, which in God's timing is very handy for me explaining this now. But second, we seek the kingdom of of God by being committed to the local church. We seek the kingdom of God by being committed to the local church because the church is the kingdom of God, as all those verses proved. Jesus' kingdom on earth today is his church, made up of individual local churches to which we belong. We can't just belong to the church, we have to belong to a church that Jesus has established. We have to belong. We need to be under the head, King Jesus, and attached to the body, which is his church. Believe, be baptised. Come into membership of a church, this church, or at least a church. Be fully committed to it. You can't be attached to the head, Jesus, without being attached to his body. You can't have Jesus, the bridegroom, without having his bride. You can't have the king without being part of the kingdom. We welcome Mark this morning. He's committed himself to this church, the body of Christ. And we've committed ourselves, those of us who are members, to him. He's come under this church's discipline and accountability, which we all have a part in, not just the elders. And we who are members have committed ourselves to you, Mark, haven't we? That's what this is about. If you're a believer in Jesus today, you must be baptised, that's his command, and you must commit yourself to a specific local church in membership, in service, in accountability, in discipleship, in discipline, in submission to leaders under Christ. That's God's pattern. Otherwise, you're kind of a rebel in the kingdom. A free floater, like some sort of spy milling about. No, there's an established pattern. We're in, we're in our uniform. We belong to our local church. We're not spies milling about the kingdom. Join a church. Commit yourself to a church. 
If it's not here, somewhere. But somewhere specific. Be part of God's kingdom properly. Third, we seek the kingdom of God by being transformed continually by the word of Christ. That's how we seek the kingdom. It's the word of Christ, particularly the word of Christ preached by being committed to hearing the Bible taught in the local church. And if God calls us to, by being committed to teaching the Bible in different ways in the local church and putting it into practice. I want you to share you a couple of verses. Open a Bible with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to show you, share some verses that describe how Paul sees the Bible ministry of the local church. This is why the local church is the place we were reminded earlier, is where history is made. This is how Paul sees the Bible ministry. This is how he sees his ministry, but actually the ministry of every Bible teacher in the local church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says this, and this is true of every gospel preacher. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, For Jesus' sake. And he says something incredible about what the word of God does. Listen to this. For God who said, that's God's word. For God whose word was, let light shine out of darkness. In Genesis, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you see that? That's what preaching the Bible does when the Holy Spirit brings our words to life in our hearts. Let light shine out of darkness, God says. And he says that when his word is preached. He makes his light shine in our hearts to give us new birth and then to make us more like Jesus. How does Paul describe that? To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. How exciting is that? When the Bible, which is all about Christ, is preached... In church, we can know in our hearts the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you want to know Jesus better? Be more committed to his word, to reading it yourself, and especially to hearing it preached in the local church. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul describes Bible ministry like this. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11 to verse 13. Paul says, so Christ gave the apostles and the prophets. In Ephesians, that's talking about laying the foundation, giving us the Bible. The evangelists who plant the churches. The pastors and teachers who teach the churches based on the Bible, based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Why? What's this Bible ministry for? To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you want a bit of that? Nothing is more important than the Bible teaching ministry of the local church. It's how we come to saving faith in Jesus. It's how we grow in faith It's how we grow in Christ-likeness as he shines in our hearts. It's how we hear and obey Christ's voice. It's how we change and become mature. We learn to serve. We learn to be like Jesus and build one another up, as Paul has just said in Ephesians. So seek the kingdom of God. It's not just belonging and committing to 
the local church, although it certainly is that. It's also fully embracing the teaching of the local church because Jesus builds his kingdom through his word. And there is a challenge here, whether this is our home church or whether we're from somewhere else and just visiting. Do we take seriously all the opportunities that there are Above all else, as part of seeking the kingdom first, above our family, our jobs, our routines, our kids, our everything. Do we take, seek first his kingdom through his preached word? Real challenge here. As elders, we take, I just want to share a couple of thoughts, particularly about Sunday evening, because as elders, this has really been on our hearts. Just, Just to share this with you, if I may. We take seriously the need to feed Christ's sheep build up the church and our two Sunday meetings together provide the teaching that we believe under Christ is what we need for what we've just been reading about to be true of us we believe that together they're the balanced diet the body needs we're doing Mark usually in the morning which is more straightforward evangelistic type teaching we're doing Corinthians covering a whole load of different doctrines and, and, and different matters of faith and conduct which are just as important about following Christ that together is the balanced diet and two opportunities to to have the light of the knowledge of God shine in our hearts in the face of Christ we do believe as elders this is what Christ has led us to and that Christ intends everyone wherever possible it's not possible for everyone but wherever possible to be here and eat the whole meal and maybe catch up on the internet when sometimes you can't be here And perhaps even encourage us by sharing us when you've been blessed listening on the internet. Ali puts all the messages on every week. We can't all be here, but we can all take part, even if sometimes that's online. For those of us out in the morning with the kids, as four or so adults are this morning, or those of us working away on shifts, as some of us have to do, it's a lifeline, isn't it? I know Jay's made this point to me several times. You can be on night, you can be not here in the morning. To know God's people are gathering and we can give you the word. You've told me many times, Jake, that's important. Others say the same thing. It's important. We all need to be there to support it. Otherwise the meetings won't exist. It's not just that. It's not just for Jay coming off nights. It's for all of us. It's not just for John if he was at the fire station on nights. It's for all of us. We all need Jesus to speak to us and change us by his word. Don't we want that? Sometimes... You can count, I was going to say on one hand, sometimes you can count on one finger the number of members, apart from those leading and, and, and singing, who are actually here on a Sunday evening. Sometimes we're full. It's just, do we value it? Do we really see that this is where God's going to change us? This is how we're going to grow as a church. This is how we're going to be blessed as a church. When we hear his voice, this is how we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, above all the other stuff in our lives. Of course, there might be reasons some of us can't be at some of the meetings of the church. One parent needing to look after tiny children, for example, is an obvious one. Nevertheless, we do long in the coming days. This year, that this 2019, as we have this as our text, that we might be a church that truly values the word of God above pretty much anything else. And that we arrange our lives around that. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. Do you trust the promise? That's the question. Will you show it 
by the priorities and the decisions you make in your life. That's what shows whether we believe this promise, isn't it? What shows whether we believe this promise is whether we think if we put him first and live for him first, he'll come good on the other stuff. Fourth, to seek the kingdom, we need to be committed to evangelism, to disciple making. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this to his church. All authority, it's kingly language again. Listen to the kingly language. All authority, all rule in heaven and on earth. That doesn't exclude much, does it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the risen Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus never said, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey me. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What priority does personal evangelism have in my life? That's a challenge. What priority does personal evangelism have in your life? How do you use your time? How do you choose what you spend your time on? What what do you make of the opportunities and the relationships God gives you to reach the lost? Who could you be reading the Bible with? Who could you be inviting to Christianity Explored? Or to Origin? Or to Jolly Tots? Or to come on a Sunday? Or whatever? What's your attitude to the regular opportunities of this church? Much evangelism goes on. For example, many of us perhaps can't be here on a Friday night at Origin. But even if we can't be here, we can't run the group, could you be inviting people on the school gate or wherever? Your neighbours in the street if they have kids. Could you be perhaps give or share lifts sometimes to get people along? Even if you're not maybe running a group. How do we think about being part of a family and being part of the evangelism, what could you give up maybe to have an opportunity? Maybe just to give someone a lift to a church activity, to origin or to whatever. Are you praying regularly even for the things you can't be at? And encouraging those who are doing evangelism by saying, I can't be with you, but I'm praying for you. I can't be with you. Is there something I could do to encourage you? Similarly for Jolly Tots. These are, these are probably perhaps the most obvious two examples, but... There's a chronic shortage of Christians at Jolly Tots just to be able to talk to people. There's stuff that has to be done. There's health and safety. There's, there's all registration, all other things. A few believers to be here, to be welcoming, to invite people, to share Christ makes such a difference. Could that be you if you happen to be free? Or could make yourself free by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness on a Tuesday? I should never have said if you happen to be free. Jesus says seek first. In all these things, it's seek first. How can I put myself out to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? That's what Jesus asks this morning. And finally, to seek the kingdom means to pray for the kingdom. We've already read this in the Lord's Prayer. The very start of the Lord's Prayer, after we've worshipped, is to pray for the kingdom. This should be our first and our priority in all our praying. This is Jesus' pattern. Jesus said, Matthew, just a few verses up, Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray, when the disciples asked him, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Father, be honoured among my friends, my neighbours, be honoured in my street, be honoured in our church, Lord, I want people to know you for who you are. It's an evangelistic prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as in heaven. God's name is hallowed in heaven. We are to long that his name would be hallowed 
and that his kingdom would go out, his will would be done on earth. Pray for people. Keep praying for people. After we've worshipped and adored our Father, that is our next priority. What is your prayer life? What is my prayer life? I was convicted by this. What does my prayer life say about whether or not I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What does it say about my commitment? What is my commitment to the prayer meeting? To come on a Tuesday or Wednesday or maybe a Friday? What does that say about whether I care about these things? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Jesus says. So how do we seek the kingdom? Let me remind you of the five points I've, I've raised. By being a committed disciple of Jesus. By being committed to the church, the body of Christ. By being committed to the church is preaching and teaching the word of Christ. Morning and evening and the other opportunities we have. By being committed to the church's mission to make disciples of Christ. And by praying faithfully for God's kingdom to come. They're perhaps the top answers the Bible would give. Though as I said really it's putting the whole of the Bible into practice. We close then with our church text one last time. And it's both a command and a promise for this year of 2019 and for always. A command and a promise. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen.